Welcome to All Things Mental Health in Black, episode 8, called White Allyship and the Black Homeless Population. This is Brittany Hall, licensed professional counselor. Uh, I did want to announce to you all that I am officially doing my thing in private practice. I am currently taking new clients. Uh, so if you can follow me on Brittany Hall Therapy on Facebook and Instagram, that would be great. Refer, refer, refer. Thank you in advance. Uh, so again, this is episode eight titled White Allyship in the Black Homeless Population. Um, so just so I can clarify something that I said during my last episode, episode seven, uh, called New Beginnings. I got real passionate, y'all, you know me, um, with my ranting and just expressing myself when it came to uh, police brutality and Black Lives Matter movement. And so it's just something that I wanted to clarify. Uh, so when discussing the Black Lives Matter movement during that episode, I suggested that all white people have blood on their hands. But I recognize the difference between those with blood on their hands versus those who benefit from a racist system. However, there are several white people who are standing up in a way that we have never seen before. Um, and so I just want to say I'm not trying to blame you all for the creation of the system as it exists today. But I am demanding that you stand up and acknowledge that you do benefit from a system that many of your ancestors did create. And so I always want to lead by example and take time to reflect, backtrack, apologize, um, clarify things that I say on here. I absolutely have to take responsibility for my words and my platform. So with that said, I would like to showcase an amazing white ally who I have had the privilege of working with. Rachel Moody graduated from Augustana College with her bachelor's in psychology and sociology. She's currently pursuing her master's of social work and currently works as a case manager for a transitional housing program. She's extremely passionate about helping young people experiencing homelessness get back on their feet and learn the tools they need to thrive. In college, she found her voice in speaking out against racial equality and continue to search for new ways to speak to white folks about identifying their own privilege. She's consistently inspired by the work of Sean King, Brene Brown, and the FCUR. J organization, which stands for Showing Up for Racial Justice. And she continues to put in the work to be a better ally herself. Welcome, Rachel Moody. Thank you so much. I'm really, really excited to talk to you. I'm excited to have you here. <laughs> Truly. Um, it has absolutely been an honor working with you and just being able to see what white allyship actually looks like in practice um it's it's just awesome to see you know and we definitely need more of it so i just wanted to start off by asking you what does being a white ally mean to you 
Yeah, and I appreciate that you're saying that and saying that I am such a good white ally because honestly, there are days where I'm like, okay, there's a lot more work to be put in. And I think that's a huge thing that white people need to focus in on and realize that like, you're still gonna make mistakes every single day, every single week, every month. And you just gotta own up to that. And that I think that's what being an ally for like my black clients, my black friends, the black people in my life looks like for me. It's not perfect every time. There are some weeks I wish I were doing a whole lot more. Um, but I think what it means for me is just acknowledging my privilege every day. You started the episode saying that it's not, the blood isn't on all white people's hands, but I see where you're coming from because white, like, Racism, subtle, overt, systematic, whatever you want to say, it's just embedded in every white person in this society, period. Like, you can't shy away from that. And I think owning that and acknowledging that is the first baby step you can be taking. Um, and you have to work every day, every minute, every conversation at dismantling that and like checking in with your privilege, and being like, I have this because I am white. And people can't be racist towards me because of the color of my skin. So I just threw a lot out there. But <laughs> I think that being an ally for me, it means creating a space. Like what space am I providing for my black clients, for my black friends? So their voices are heard. I'm not the one overshadowing them. And I'm checking in with my privilege during all these conversations and everything that's happening in the world because I need to be the one speaking to white people about their subtle racism, their overt racism. And it's not on my black friend or my black client to be the one starting those conversations. Wow. You <laughs> I just threw so a lot much. out there. <laughs> Already. I I love it. You're ready with the answers. And I I think you're exactly right. Um, but at the same time, can you kind of speak to uh, whether it's your personal journey or questions or issues that have come up with other white people when it comes to being able to own it and ask those questions. That takes a, a pretty high level of vulnerability to do that. I've definitely found that white people have in a very like weary fashion tried to like, can I come to you and ask you this? And I hope this isn't racist, but you know, trying to understand and seek that information. And I provide it to them because that's the only way we learn. <laughs> and yeah. if they're coming to me and asking about it, then that's an excellent step. But it, it takes a lot of guts and vulnerability and self-awareness to be able to do that. So can you kind of speak to that a little bit if I'm making sense? Yeah, you're definitely making sense. I think like my personal journey, so we should say, it's it, it's almost embarrassing for me because it didn't start until like freshman year of college. I grew up in this white suburb and this white high school surrounded by white folks. I was always really empathetic to like people of color, but um, like I went to college and I started taking like sociology classes and psychology classes. And like my first social class was rooted in a lot of white privilege. And I was like, how embarrassing that I'm a white person. I'm what, how old are you as a freshman? Like 19 years old. How embarrassing that I'm just talking about the term white privilege. 
and I've been white my whole life. I've been surrounded by white people. And so I, that shame you're talking about, that guilt, those like feelings of, oh my God, am I a bad person? Like that all comes up. And it's not like that goes away. Um, but I think for me, that guilt and that shame doesn't even come close in comparison to the feelings that black people have to deal with every single day. And that like the shit that they're handed just for the color of their effing skin, you know? I don't know if I can swear. Sorry, I was getting You heated. sure can. <laughs> okay, I great. just slide the little thing that says explicit and there you go. That's the okay. one. <laughs> great. But yeah, so it was like in college and we started having those really hard conversations and I had this amazing professor who really like he was this white dude and he's like white people like this is all on you stop looking at your the black folks in the room to be like starting these conversations about race like you need to check in with your racist uncle at thanksgiving and you need to be checking in with your friends when they make a side comment that is subtly racist like that's on you and you need to own that privilege and that's part of like what really started this for me. And I was like, okay, all this shame, all this guilt, like, I need to put that shit aside because my feelings don't override all the trauma and feelings of the black community for literally since this society started. So like my five minutes of guilt and feeling like a shitty person really don't matter in comparison. And I think that's really hard for some folks to do because shame is this huge, messy feeling that really clouds people's judgment and gets in the way of so many things. Um, but it's really, it's that self-awareness of being like, does that matter in comparison to the black person in this all white room who feels absolutely like singled out and terrible because this has been happening to their community since jump, you know? Yes. Um, and that black person that you described is, is me. <laughs> I have definitely been there. And um, man, what you're saying is powerful and it's true and it is hard. Um, and it's things yeah. that I've said also. Um, it's really that idea of like, get over yourself essentially. When it comes to the guilt, the shame, I can absolutely empathize with that and almost that feeling of like what do I do you know especially as someone um living today and so like the system was created I didn't have a choice in that this is what we have now you're telling me that how I'm operating is wrong like but what do I do what does that mean how do I handle these feelings of guilt or shame or helplessness hopelessness um and so yeah. with that said um how do you navigate holding other white people accountable it's hard <laughs> you know i'm not gonna act like it's not hard and like i don't stumble because i definitely do um but i think like in my life like, if i've had friends in college or like, i keep going back to college because that was just such a space where you can really like call each other in yeah. and be like hey just in that sentence like we're talking about white privilege and your privilege is screaming and showing like every step of the way right like 
any yeah. person that's justifying any of these murders that are happening, justifying anything, basically, kind of what's happening in our society right now, like, that's racist. And I think so many white folks grew up with this notion that to be racist, you had to be like out there with a KKK sign, you know, like just yeah. overtly racist, but like, it's the subtle stuff that really is igniting these like fires of white supremacy, right? It's the really subtle stuff. You making a joke and being laughing it off and being like, oh, I'm just joking. It's cool using the excuse of, oh, I have a black friend, so it's cool, I can say this stuff. It's like, no, mm -hmm. like we're done appropriating back black culture. We're done making side jokes. We're done making excuses for racist white people, you know, and racist yeah. police. And like, we can't say, I think like the number one thing that gets to me lately is like, well, you know, if the black community could just respect police officers, no, like excuses like that need to be called out. So I try to do my part with calling them out when I hear them speaking up against it, like on any social media I have, but again, it's not like a huge following, but it's like doing your part. Um, and also just continuing to educate myself because so many people are just kind of like opening their eyes for the first time it seems. And then they're kind of scared to speak out and they're like feeling all this shame and guilt um, like we talked about before. But yeah. you need to like say, hey, I think this is a quote I saw, but it's like, sorry, I'm late, but I'm here now and I'm not going to turn my back. You know, like once you're- mm, I like oh, that. Yeah, like once you're woken up to this stuff, like as a white person, you turning your back and like not paying attention to your privilege and not speaking out against like the little stuff you see day to day, that's you being racist. Like that's systematic, subtle racism that's embedded in you because you're white. And like now that you know that information, you really can't like close your eyes to that. And so I think like I just continue to talk to people about their privilege. And even if it's just a small thing, right? If I could say like, hey, that wasn't cool to say, you know? Yeah. And I do work with clients. Um, like you said, we work together. So I work at a transitional housing program and I work with white and black clients. And some of our white clients have really racist ideas, right? So they come yeah. into my office and that's my job as a white person to call them in and to like explain everything I know and try and get them to see that, hey, saying this in the office when we have a bunch of black kids in this space, it's not gonna be acceptable here. And like explain some of the history and the whys. Am I gonna get through to every white person? Like, no, that's pretty ignorant, you know? <laughs> but like, <laughs> like, that's just not gonna happen. But like, I can't be another white person that's closing my eyes and like not saying something mm -hmm. when I see it because I know too much that like I'm not going to be a part of that problem. Um, but yeah, it's difficult. Like everyone stumbles and I stumble sometimes and I was like, shit, you know, I really should have said something in that moment. And that's on me to correct next time. But it's all about accountability, you know, and if you don't hold yourself accountable, who's going to do it for you? Hopefully you have good people in your life, but that's a part of it too. Like realizing when you messed up and making sure not to make that mistake again.
Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I absolutely love the quote that you recited, um, especially that last part of, and I'm not going to turn my back on you, um, just because that is a concern right now, because yeah. now Black Lives Matter has become, I mean, really a business ploy for major corporations. Um, and it's we're definitely seeing a huge influx of white people joining the fight, joining the protests. Um, but sometimes it's hard to distinguish whose heart is truly in it and who's doing it for a cute Instagram picture, who's doing it for, cause it's the trending topic. And when it's not talked about and when it's not all in the news or whatever have you, when the hashtag gets lost, who's still doing that work? Exactly. You know? And I think, like, we saw that so much, right? Like, I think of, like, the couple of weeks that followed George, George Floyd being murdered mm -hmm. and all on social media. Every single white person I had was posting a black square and posting some things. And now as the weeks go on, I'm really not seeing anything. And I'm hoping to myself, right? I'm trying to give people the benefit of the doubt and being like, okay, maybe they transferred what they've been learning and are like putting that into their day-to-day, -day, like how they interact into the world, but we don't know. And like, that's why it's like, it's really personal responsibility. And it's about like educating yourself. But then when you have that information, making sure that it's not just like a trending Instagram post and that it's like really transferring into like your day-to-day, -day, your morals, checking in with yourself, and honestly, just creating a space for like your black friends, your black clients to share their story when they're ready to talk when they're ready, you know, like you're that support for them. Yeah. But you don't need to be like shining a flashlight on them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. And I think the increase of white people checking in on their black friends, black associates, black coworkers is different not only for them but i know for me specifically um and us as a community of course not trying to talk for the community mm -hmm. um but getting those random texts of like hey i know all this shit's going on like how are you doing it's um comforting like it's nice to get that and have that acknowledged because in the past it just wasn't you know so as a black person yeah. you was expected to go to work perform the same way, do your day-to-day -day thing while experiencing trauma, fear, anxiety, you name it. Um, but at the same time, also anger, rage, and going through all those stages of like, we have a rapport, I know that you're cool, I appreciate you checking in on me. And sometimes because of how pissed I am, I don't wanna hear from a white person today, yeah. you know? And being able to acknowledge that and know that that's a part of the process and it doesn't mean shutting everyone out, but it means like having to deal with this and face this, whether it's a hashtag or not, whether people are marching or not, just having to, no matter what, <laughs> deal with these issues, you do, you go through those stages. Exactly, yeah, and I think like, you spoke about like there's so much anger and rage and sometimes you're not wanting to talk to a white person. And that loops back to like, I've had conversations with white, white folks where they're like, well, I didn't do it. It happened this many years ago. So like, I'm trying to do my part, you know, and it's all that like guilt 
and like defensiveness just like rearing its head and it's just kind of sitting that person down and being like look at your privilege right now like you're just saying you feel guilty because a black person might not want to talk to you because look at the society we live in you know like instead take that space and take those like defensive feelings and maybe you should turn it into anger and act on something and speak to other folks about like all the discrimination and their white privilege you know every white person has racist people in their life like i know that's pretty broad of me to say and i do acknowledge <laughs> that but it's hard for me to not believe it's true you know mm -hmm. like it genuinely is like subtle stuff that comes up all the time yeah so yeah it just comes back to that like self-awareness and putting your crap to the side and your guilt and your white feelings and really like standing for something that's bigger than you boom that is yes because <laughs> i think it um because it's true it is a it is an issue that's bigger than the shame and the guilt and it's truly life or death you know yeah. and so we're not just talking about those moments where a white person is like can i touch your hair and wants to pet mm -hmm. me like a damn animal we're not talking <laughs> about you know the racist boss that keeps fucking with you at work like we're truly talking about you know someone's son or husband or uncle or wife or daughter left out that morning and did not come back home and you see the video over and over and over again that they had nothing but was just shot down in the street, broad daylight, the camera's there, and this person gets off on whatever leave. You know, like it's truly day to day, situation by situation, life or death, on top of all the microaggressions and the shit yeah. and the whitewash education system and the, right? Like it's so very deep. <laughs> And so you're absolutely right when it comes to managing that guilt, that shame and acknowledging that, yeah, that exists and it's something to work through. And also people are actually dying and being able to put yourself in that community's shoes of like, OK, how would I feel if I'm fearful and my kids are, are getting shot down? My family is getting shot down and just senselessly. Exactly. And it's so, but it's so difficult for white people, I think, to put themselves in those shoes, you know, because they're never going to be in them. Frankly, there's never going to be a white community that's afraid that the police are going to murder them. Like, I don't believe that's ever going to happen. And I talk about the subtle stuff because I truly believe we've allowed all this subtle stuff, all this systematic systematic racism to go on for so long that now it's blatant in our eyes in our streets in every city across america on our tv screens you know like from the president of the united states like it yeah. is out and it is open and it is ugly and we have taken so many steps back but it's because all the other stuff has been allowed to slide mm. and we're not being radical enough and we're not really checking we're not talking to white people about this really hard stuff and yeah. hoping it'll go away. And then it just ignites all this just blatant stuff where it is, you can't look away. It's here.
That is true. Um, it is here. You can't look away in the way 2020 has been going. Yeah. I think people are fed up just across the board. Um, and so kind of shifting gears towards <laughs> your work with the Black community. Yeah. Um, can you tell me how has the Black Lives Matter movement impacted your work with your uh, Black clients? Yeah, it's tricky. So I work with young people. Um, a lot of them are black and brown young people. And it's difficult. It's really difficult to navigate these conversations because they're coming to a white person in a majority white community, right? A lot of my clients, like they don't have any relationship to police and the police station is pretty close to our place of work. So the police, they're present, they're around, you know? Yeah. And what I've seen is it's, it's really difficult. There's been a lot of silence. There's been a lot of like, I don't even know where to begin. And so I think from my point of view, it's just being like, hey, I don't like I'm white. I don't agree with anything that's happening. Like I'm here. I'm here to like let other white people know that this isn't okay. And like whenever you're ready to talk, if you want to talk, if you want to scream, if you want to throw something like we can do that. Um, if you want me to find somebody else that you can talk to, we can do that too. But I think right now it's just been, it's a lot of confusion. It's a lot of stuff up in the air and it's difficult to navigate. That's true. It, it is difficult to navigate. Um, at the same time, I've seen you navigate it beautifully, you know, cause it's having those type of conversations is hard no matter what, especially as a white person talking to a person of color. Um, but just in all the, the little things, being able to build that relationship with that person in a way that connects with them and connects with their culture rather than dismissing their culture um, and providing that true culturally competent support and services and tangible help and support, you know, that the community can actually feel and benefit from is huge. And that's true support, you know, it's to put Black Lives Matter on your Facebook page is one thing. It's another thing to help out um, a Black young person who's experiencing homelessness, helping them get food, helping them get to school, teaching them that it's okay to cry. It's okay to express yourself. I'm not going to freak out when you're angry and you express your anger the way you need to, given your situation and the life that you've had. All of that is white allyship. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's hard to see sometimes, right? Because when you're in the thick of it, so I appreciate you saying that, but yeah, just so much. And I know we've had countless conversations, but I'm working with homeless young people. That's one of the most vulnerable communities out there. Man. Homeless young black people is the most vulnerable population. And so 
people don't realize and we can like check all these lists you know like say we're doing xyz when they come into our program but i think like the number one most important thing is just like actually building a relationship getting to know that young person not shutting them out when they might get angry they might scream you know those are all normal emotions like i can't imagine what it's like to be in their shoes many of them have gone through so many systems so many staff members so many people that have let them down so i'm not expecting when they walk through the door that i'm going to be their bestie and they're going to trust me <laughs> you know like it takes a lot of work FYI, and it takes i don't expect that either <laughs> just cuz i look like a lot of them doesn't mean i get a pass you know exactly. because of the background they come from a lot of trauma a lot of distrust rightfully so anyone in that situation would develop that and so across the board it takes a, a long time for the population to warm up to you as the um person working in social services uh sorry to interject <laughs> no for sure and like i'm glad you did and i think like all that is it just like comes from so much consistency right you just got to be stable you got to be consistent and kind and show them that like you're there for them if they scream if they want to cry if they're angry if they're on top of the world that you're going to be in their corner no matter what right like yeah we have rules and expectations but like if you show them that if they mess up and you're still going to be there and that it's okay and that you're along for all the other mess ups then that's how you build like trust in that relationship so when stuff is going on in the world that's larger than them than me than all of us that they can have a safe place to talk about that and i think that's like what i really try to do is to just build relationships Right, like they're not going to like me every day and that's okay <laughs> and I might get frustrated too. But it's like any trusting long-term relationship is going to have like stability. And so many of our young folks just don't have that. So I think like before we could do anything in this work, like you have to just focus on the relationship. You can't be trying to do anything else unless you have a relationship. Yes. <laughs> I wholeheartedly agree with that. Um and that leads me to the next question, which I feel like you kind of touched on this. Uh we can see. Um mm -hmm. but what have you learned or discovered about working with um black youth experiencing homelessness? That's a tough one. What have I learned about working with black youth experiencing homelessness? Yes. Right. And or discovered a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think that people just have these perceptions about like homeless youth, homeless people in general. Mm. But I think it's especially prevalent with like black youth, and specifically I've worked a lot with black men. Yeah. Where all this anger, right? Like we yes. all know the stereotype of the angry black man. And kind of what I've seen is that like no shit you're going to be angry yeah. all my homeless white kids are just as angry if not more <laughs> and those feelings are okay you know and like that's just something that was immediately just me I'm told for me but also that like i don't know like it's difficult cuz i genuinely think that like all these homeless youth they just need to be heard Ooh. and like Come black. on and preach. <laughs> yeah, black 
women, black men, black LGBTQ, black folks in general, they just like, they need to be heard. And these young people are just screaming to be heard. And sometimes they're screaming through silence, through anger, through stealing something from a grocery store because they don't have any food. You know, they're just screaming for someone to like sit down and listen to them and actually hear and respect what they have to say and like respect what they've gone through so that they can move forward. But so often we like cast, especially the black community, we just like cast these kids aside and like stick to the stereotypes and like paint a picture on the news about like what black homelessness looks like. You know, I can't even dive into that because I don't even fully, you know, I don't have all the information, but it's just, it's everywhere. And at the end of the day, they're just humans that got dealt a really shitty hand and that need to like sit down, be heard and move forward with their lives. Yes. And I just want to, um, acknowledge that when you speak about anger and the anger of black people more specifically black men i have seen you (laughs) in some situations that actually looked appeared seemed was threatening and intimidating And the way that you handled it and de-escalated those situations without a gun, without <laughs> a weapon, without law enforcement training, impressive. <laughs> impressive. Thanks. On top of that, the way that you continue that relationship, continue that rapport, with those people, with those clients after that's happened. Again, impressive. So can you kind of speak to those moments where like, whether this person is black or not, (laughs) the level of anger, you know, and rage that you have witnessed been, um, and it's been directed towards you or seemingly, even if it's about other things, just how those moments felt for you? And how have you managed them? For sure. And yeah, like you mentioned, I've definitely had a few myself. Um, and I've seen coworkers handle it beautifully, right? I had a supervisor yeah. where he just modeled how you deal with those situations, you know? Um, but I think just so much of that, right? So I'll backtrack. We're working with young people who are experiencing homelessness they come to our program and they're just kind of like left to figure out how they're going to move forward for the first time in a while because they have stability they have food they have housing you know so there are so many other factors going on with them yeah right there's mental health there's past trauma that they're not working through there's loss of family members the list goes on and on yeah. Like they're human. All of that happens to each and every one of us. And then add on that you're 18 and have been living on the streets for two years. You know, I can't even wrap my head around it some days. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I definitely have had situations 
where both young women, young men have gotten in my face, uh, screamed, become really aggressive, um, threatened me, said every curse name imaginable. But I think like, I'm not prone to really react angrily because like, this is a kid that's hurting. Like you just need to constantly remind yourself and be present in that moment that, hey, they're not screaming at you. I guarantee this is not about you right now. This is about everything that's going on in their life. And if that happened to you, you'd probably be screaming in somebody's face too, you know? And like as a staff member, I'm thankful that they're like coming to me and screaming at me and letting that energy out towards me because I can handle that. And I'm still going to be there for them once it's done. And once we can sit down and process right now in that moment, are we going to be like, oh, let's go in the office and talk this through? No, like we need some space (laughs) and then we're going to loop back and they're going to see that, hey, you can scream, you can yell, you can let all your emotions out, but I'm still going to be in your corner because your life is valuable and your feelings are valuable. And like, I'm, I'm seeing what you're going through. And that's a lot on empathy, right? But again, like, I'm just thankful that they're doing that to me and they're not popping off at somebody at the grocery store and then the police are involved, you know? Like, sometimes that anger can manifest in ways that you see every day where someone just randomly loses it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that happens so often and it's normal (laughs) and it's okay. And we just need more people that know how to like really talk to people and see people where they're at and not take it so personally. Because if I took like somebody getting in my face, threatening to bomb me and you know, like <laughs> I've heard it all. That's <laughs> true. You have too. But it's like, if I yeah. really took that personally, I wouldn't come back to work the next day. There's no way because there's no way I could do my job. Like I can't help people if I'm afraid of the people that I'm helping. Ooh, come on. She <laughs> let's just make sure we heard that. I can't help people if I'm afraid of the people I'm helping. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so true and I feel like I keep repeating myself but like just the perception of like homeless people in general, but homeless youth are that they're lazy. And I could give you a million stereotypes, but like they're humans like you and me, and they've been dealt such a shitty hand. And if they're yelling, that means you haven't heard them, right? Like they they're searching for somebody to listen and to be there and to prove also that they can fuck up and they can scream at you, but you're not going to walk away. You're not going to kick them out. And that's really powerful. And that's a lot like some of the people that have yelled at me in my face really said things to me are some of the strongest relationships I have still, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I don't walk away. So, yeah. Yes. I'm over here blown away by this conversation so far. (laughs) And so going into my next question for you um you know me i'm real strength based yeah so as i'm getting towards the 
end of this, I want to know what are some of the triumphs or benefits or things that you have truly enjoyed about working with this population? Oh, so much. I mean, most of the time you're the person that's there for some of the biggest wins of their life, you know? And even if that's as small as like cooking a steak correctly or like figuring <laughs> out how to figuring out how to like get their credit back or saving $50 for the first time. Like you're a part of that win for them. And like you can't you can't monetize that. You can't like put anything on that because that's huge. And there aren't really words to describe like how nice that is to be a part of someone who like has had such shitty things happen to them that they didn't ask for. And then now they're taking their lives into their own hands and they're doing it all on their own. Yes, I'm here to support you, but it's the young people that are doing this. And I don't think people see that where it's like, a lot of times people like to be like, oh, well, staff got you there and stuff like that. And it's like, no, that young person got there all by themselves. Like, that's all yeah. self-determination. That's all on them. I'm there in their corner, yes. And I'm their cheerleader, but that's all on that person. So, yes, the big wins where people are getting their own apartments and cars and stuff, those are obviously incredible. But, like, if you stay in this work, you're searching for the little, like, Hey, I didn't drink for a week. Yes. <laughs> or hey, I didn't spend this $10 and that's the first time I've like kept money in my pocket, you know, and that's huge. And we've all been young and we've all been there. And so like to cheer somebody on when they're going through that, it's just really, it's really special. Mm -hmm. And even going to um, college, completing trade programs, yeah. GED programs, incredibly hard to do without that support of a family or someone. So hard. And it's like, you don't, sometimes I think like doing this work has really made me think about like, sometimes you just take advantage of all the people in your life you know, like yeah. when something goes good, I have five people that I'm always going to call, you know, like mm -hmm. I have people in my corner that I know are there. If I get like, if I end up in the hospital somehow, I know all these people are going to visit me. And it's just something we take for granted when some of these kids coming into our program, like you're it. <laughs> like they really don't have anybody else in their corner right now. I'm not saying all of them, a lot of them do still have supports, which is amazing, but yeah. like, it's just something that you really got to think about. And it really like helps me like cherish my friendships and my relationships because how lucky am I to have that? And it's something that a lot of people don't have. They don't have an emergency contact. Mm -hmm. um, oh, so that is what, oh, that is one of the first things that I noticed. Um, working with this population and providing therapy, filling out that paperwork. And that was one of the trick out of all the tough things that I have to ask to get through intake or that I had to ask to get through intake. That was one of the toughest ones. Emergency yeah. contact for so many. And I was just like, my goodness, the amount of times they had to put down um, social services worker as their emergency contact. It, it's truly, it really, hits you 
fucks with you. Like, okay. Like, you truly are by yourself right now. And you really are leaning on me, on us. As that therapist, case manager, caseworker, whatever have you, uh, for that support, that help. Exactly. And that's why you got to make sure that you're supporting them and listening and not getting sidetracked by all the bullshit expectations or checklist things you have to check off when working with this kid, you know? So I think that can really humble a lot of people in this work that like, hey, you can be their only person right now. So you better be a damn good person for them (laughs) and you better really support them. But yeah, it's just stuff like that. It really humbles you. It makes you think about your own life and just give an appreciation for this young person who's gone so far and is going to continue going so far because now they have a safe place to live and they have a person in their corner that's going to push them there, you know? Absolutely. And speaking of being humble in your own life, Rachel Moody, what's (laughs) next for you? Tell the people what is next for you. I'm not sure. What a big question, Brittany Hall. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I'm pursuing my master's in social work. I'm going to continue doing this work until I can't do it anymore and providing like a safe place for young people. But yeah, I just take it day by day. We're going to see. We are going to see. And I'm so excited for you. So happy for you. And it's clear that whatever you do, whatever you set your mind to is going to be awesome. It is. You're the kindest. You, you put your money where your mouth is. You don't talk. Actually, you rarely talk. <laughs> really, you just do. You do. You're about action. You'll talk to me after the fact or about the actions that you're already doing. <laughs> <laughs> and that is respectable, honestly. Thank you so much. Rachel Moody for doing this interview with me and doing this episode with me. I absolutely enjoyed it. I think this episode is hidden. We will definitely find out from the listeners. Um, So for all of you listening to this, please send your questions, comments, any opportunities or anything that you would like to share with Rachel. You can Email me at allthingsmentalhealthandblack at gmail.com. We have Facebook page, Instagram page, Twitter, All Things Mental Health and Black. I am so excited for what's to come this episode, some other episodes that I have in the works for you all. Now that I'm able to have the time to do this and just pour more into my podcast, you are going to be seeing a lot. That is what I'm going to say. Okay. Oh, do you want to hit the slogan? Oh, I can hit it. Yes, you can. You're a guest. Yes. Thank you so much. You're doing this, Brittany. I get so excited. (laughs) Go right on ahead. Thanks for listening. Peace, love, and therapy.